We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from Luke 19. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead of him, or sent ahead, went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the, nor- the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they have seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you um, for this day. Um, your day, the Lord's day, that is greater and truer and um, more promising than even our worst days. So we pray now that by your spirit, the promise that is given to us this day, we pray that that promise would become sweet uh, to our hearts and we would believe it more than anything else that vies for our attention and our affection and our allegiance. Um, and Lord Jesus, would you draw near? We pray this in your name, amen. Um, you may take your seat. Well, Brent, Brent, you, you have to stand the whole sermon, but everybody else will sit. Um, I've been working on my Barry White impersonation. So as I go through this sermon, I may sip on this wine some to, to help uh, my throat. That was a joke, I'm not gonna drink and preach. <laughs> same time. Uh, well, good morning, everybody. I am going to sip this water, though, so I hope that doesn't, is not too much of a distraction. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Chase Dawes, for those of you who do not know me. I am the RUF campus minister at UC Berkeley. My wife, Holly, and I have been uh, a part of this church literally since the very first day that it started, when it was just like a few ragtag folks in a living room uh, and Brent and Katie saying, hey, like, should we try this? And we had moved here from Philadelphia and we were like, "Uh, sure, you know, we'll hang out with you guys. We don't know anybody else. And over the years, we have heard lots of stories 
of your lives and how they've been impacted um, by this church, how God has worked through this church in your lives. And I want, I want to say this just before we get started, that even as a pastor, this church has impacted our family so greatly. And uh, the impact that, the church, that this church has had on our lives, I promise you this, we will still be celebrating in the new heavens and the new earth. So uh, there'll be lots of food trucks at that party too, so you guys should come and bring your friends. Um, drinks are on me. Um, so yeah, it's a joy to be here with you this morning, opening up uh, God's word to you and really just learning more about how much Jesus loves us, uh, because I need that this morning, and I know that you need that as well. Um, well, as Brent mentioned, today is Palm Sunday, and uh, this Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week. And Holy Week <clears throat> is uh, this, this place on the church calendar in which the church globally celebrates and reflects on uh, the week leading up to Jesus' death on a cross and his triumphant resurrection from the grave, the day that we call Resurrection Sunday. And the question that I have for each of us this morning is how do we get to Resurrection Sunday? How do we get to Resurrection Sunday? How do we get from Palm Sunday today to Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday? Now that might sound like a strange question, um, but I think that it's a question that every single person in this room has asked themselves. Uh, let me translate it for you. It's basically just asking this question, how do we find peace? How do we find peace? How do we find peace with God? How do we find peace with our neighbors? How do we find peace within ourselves? And how do we find peace within the world? That's a question that no matter what you believe, that is a question that everybody is asking in some shape, form, or fashion. And so the question is, how do we get there? How do we find peace? Pieces. Well, if you, if you Google that, um, which every good pastor scholar does when they're sermon prepping, they Google things, um, you'll find that these are the top eight ways to find peace, okay? Number one uh, of the top eight ways to find peace, number one, spend time in nature. Number two, I got a, mm, yeah, amen. <laughs> I'm, yeah, it works sometimes. Uh, number two, meditate. Number three, be grateful. Number four, take responsibility for your actions. Number five, don't let your past mistakes define you. Number six, love yourself. Number seven, practice acceptance and contentment. And finally, my favorite, number eight, declutter. Um, now... Okay, surely there's some wisdom found in these things. Uh, I, I do lots of those things. But when I think about just the past few years, uh, the past two or three years, uh, and, and what all has happened in navigating racial injustice and, the, and the, the innocent killing of black men and black women or trying to survive a pandemic that's killed nearly a million people in the U.S. alone, or even right now thinking about providing support and relief to Ukraine while we're on the brink of another world war. Uh, 
something about those Google suggestions doesn't seem to really grasp the magnitude of the situation that we find ourselves in. And so what we need is not Google peace. No offense to Google. What we need is a Resurrection Sunday kind of peace, and we need it desperately. But we need to follow the right path to get there. Okay, we need to follow the right path to get to that Resurrection Sunday kind of peace. And this passage in the Gospel of Luke talks about some of the different paths that we take that lead to dead ends, some of the different paths that we take that lead to dead ends, but it also provides us with the true path to peace that leads to resurrection life. Okay, so here here are the paths that Luke gives us in this passage. The first is that you can follow your dreams. The second is that you can follow the rules. Or third, you can follow his tears. Okay, so you can follow your dreams, you can follow the rules, or third, you can follow his tears. So let's jump in. Follow your dreams. Okay, now most folks, when they say that, they mean well, okay? Uh, there's, there's, no one has anything particularly malicious in mind, but it's funny how that can kind of backfire because if you're not careful, um, it, it really can backfire because after all, humans dream some really weird things, okay? Um, for example... Imagine that Lee Redman was your little girl, and she grew up, and she, she, uh, uh, she was growing up when she was little, and she runs to you, and she, she says, Daddy or Mommy, like, I want to have pretty long fingernails. And you said, you know what, Lee Redman? Uh, go for it. Follow your dreams. Uh, but little did you know that her dream was to be the Guinness World Record holder for the longest fingernails in the world. And so now, Lee Redman hasn't cut her fingernails since 1979, and her fingernails are a combined 28 feet long. Um, If you're into long fingernails, that's fine, but, you know, some dreams backfire. You can't even shake hands with somebody with long fingernails. Um, Or, I don't know, imagine this. Imagine that you grew up in Alabama, like me. And you wanted to be the starting quarterback for Auburn University. And so you planned everything in your childhood around that dream. But then you ended up being 5'11", 150 pounds, with minimal athletic ability. That was my dream. And obviously, it never happened. It still stings a bit. Anyways, you get my point, okay? Um, following your dreams isn't always the best idea. Following your dreams is not always the best idea. Sometimes we need new dreams, and sometimes, more importantly, and to the point of this sermon, the dreams we do have are deranged. Think about some of the dreams that have just existed in the past hundred or so years. Dreams of segregated schools and neighborhoods. Dreams of a pure race inspired by eugenics, modern science, or dreams of displacing indigenous peoples and taking what is not rightfully ours. Lots of dreams are not good and worth following. But it's when our dreams are mixed with religion that they become especially nightmarish. 
It's when our dreams are mixed with religion that, that they become especially nightmarish. And this is exactly what's happening with the followers of Jesus here in verse 37 and 38. Yes, the crowd, this multitude that's following Jesus, yes, they have a few correct views about who Jesus is. So it's like, look at the text. They, they, say, they begin rejoicing and praising God for his mighty works. Okay, that's something that people who believe in Jesus do. They call him king. Jesus is a king. Uh, they believe that he's sent from God. Jesus is sent from God. The Bible tells us that over and over again. And they believe, get this, they believe that he's the bringer of peace. That's what we're all looking for. They believe that he's actually going to bring the peace. That's, that's true. Jesus does bring peace. And that's the dream that they're following, but it's their understanding of peace. It's a particular vision. Sorry, I keep doing that into the mic. Um, maybe they can turn that down a little bit. Um, it's a particular version of peace that's rooted in their religious and cultural identity. And they believe that Jesus is there to serve their vision of peace. And their vision of peace would privilege their people, their place, and their position in the world. Okay, so their, their version of peace, what it would do is it would have, it would place them with a the power at the top. It would destroy Rome, all their enemies. It would kill their enemies, as Brent said in the call to worship. And everyone else would be bending the knee to Israel. And Jesus, according to them, and their messianic expectations of him, Jesus was supposed to help them do that. Secure that version of peace for their lives. And we know that for a couple of reasons. One is that verse 38 is actually quoting the Old Testament. It's Psalm 118. And uh, this story of the triumphal entry is in every gospel, all four gospels. And in Matthew, when this Old Testament verse is quoted, they actually add a phrase that's not originally there. And they say, blessed is the king of Israel, or blessed is the king of Israel. And commentators say that that is so foreign to the intent and purpose of Psalm 118, because Psalm 118 is about salvation. But the addition of that phrase kind of exposes the intention of their hearts. The addition of that phrase means that they think that Jesus is about national liberation. Not salvation. Not that kind of peace. Not the shalom the Bible talks about, but about national, national self-interest. National liberation. And so their dream of peace is really just religious nationalism. And that's a problem. And that's something that we still see today. So that's the first thing, the first reason why we know that. The second is in Luke 23, just a few chapters later. This same crowd, this multitude that is waving palm branches and laying them down on the ground for Jesus to enter into the city of Jerusalem, this same crowd of followers is the same crowd who just days later would demand that Jesus be put to death, that Jesus be crucified. Their dreams... Their dreams that they were following led them to commit the most heinous crime in human history. Here's the point. Following your dreams sounds harmless. It sounds harmless. But it is incredibly naive about what the human heart really wants 
when it's left to itself. Whether it's on a grand scale like global dominance and hegemony, or if it's just in your daily life, what Luke is telling us here is that your heart will always choose to follow a dream that leads to destruction unless it first follows a savior that leads to life. Your heart will always choose a dream that leads to destruction unless it first follows a savior that leads to life. So Luke is telling us, hey, if you want peace, if you want peace, don't follow your dreams. Don't follow your dreams. Well, what about the next path? Um, what if you follow the rules? Another common path that many of us take, myself included, is uh, that we try to find peace by following the rules. Uh, we think that if I can just be disciplined enough, or if everyone else would behave like me, then we'd all be okay. In fact, I would say this is kind of what distinguishes different parts of the country politically. If you're from Alabama, uh, you might be saying the goal is to not be like people from the Bay Area. And if you're from the Bay Area, you're probably saying, too, that the goal is to not be like Chase and people from Alabama. And both sides are convinced that if we'd follow the rules set by the other, then everything would be okay. Now, obviously, I don't want to get into the legitimacy of that debate. Who's right or wrong? It doesn't matter. It's a joke anyways. Uh, but I will say this, and Luke is telling us this. Jesus saves Jesus saves his strongest rebukes for people who think that behavior modification is what secures true and lasting peace. Jesus saves his strongest rebukes for people who think that behavior modification is what secures true and lasting peace. Yeah, behavior modification, it can make things more civil, uh, you may be able to be tolerant of other people, to tolerate other people, but you can still hate them in your heart. Tolerating somebody is not peace. Tolerating somebody is indifference at best. And perhaps the biggest danger of following the rules is that when you're following the rules, it can look so good. It can look so good, especially if you're a parent. Like, you just love it when your children follow the rules. It's just so much easier for you as a parent. It can look so good. You can garner the praise and respect of all your peers. And then you become so proud of yourself and how good you are. And it's in that moment, it's in that very moment, whatever it is that you're hanging your hat on, that your goodness your goodness becomes the very thing that blinds you of your need of Jesus. And what Jesus is telling us this morning is there's not a more dangerous path in the world than a path that removes your need of Jesus. That's what the Pharisees were so good at. And that's what the Pharisees are doing here in verse 39. That's what they're known for. 
The Pharisees were religious professionals, and they know all the rules, and they obey all the rules, and they even create a few extra rules just to show off, and they follow the rules perfectly, because that's how they're going to get their vision of peace, the life that they want. And so notice what they do. They see what's going on, and they hear people, they hear uh, what people are shouting, this crowd, this multitude, and even though the crowd following Jesus has some mixed motives, there's still some worship that's actually going on there. Okay, and the Pharisees hear that. Like the, the crowd, they at least know that they need this guy. They may have wrong intentions and motives for him, but they know that they need that guy. But the Pharisees do this. They look at Jesus and they correct him. They correct him. They give him a rule to follow if he wants to keep the peace. They tell him, you better rebuke your disciples. You better tell them to stop. Because this is not how you do it. These are not the rules to follow. And they are totally blind of their need for Jesus. He is standing right there in front of them and they are totally blind to their need for him. Um, there may not be a better example of this than the parable of the prodigal sons that's actually right here in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 15. You have two sons. There's an older brother and a younger brother and they both want the exact same thing. Okay, They want their father's stuff. They want his money. And... Uh, they want that so that they can live the way that they want to live. They can have the life that they want. And although they have the same goal, they have two very distinct paths that they follow to get it. Okay, so the younger brother, the younger brother follows his dreams. Okay, he follows his dreams of having a good time. If you're a Berkeley student, the younger brother is living that Kipps life. Okay, if you laugh, somebody at least... I, Look, I know you guys know what Kipps is. Uh, anyways, uh, he's living that Kipps life. He's having a good time. And so he just straight up asks for it from his dad, give me this stuff. And then he goes on a bender until his life is nearly a wreck. And then the older brother, he's different. He doesn't follow his dreams. The older brother follows the rules. His way of getting the life he wants is by perfect obedience and though his record is totally spotless and clean, his heart is filthy. At the end of the story of the prodigal son, the younger brother realizes just how bad of shape he's in. And he decides that he wants to return home to his father after almost losing his life. And the father sees him from a distance and the father runs after him and he weeps and he throws his arms around him and he throws a huge party for him. But the older brother, the older brother is disgusted by this and he refuses to enter the party because it's full of people who don't follow the rules. He refuses to enter the party because it's full of people who don't follow the rules. And here's the thing. The older brother was made for that party. He was made for that party, but he misses out. And rule followers are made for Jesus 
but they are missing out because Jesus doesn't follow your rules. Jesus will never follow our rules. And so here's the lesson from this. If like the Pharisees, the path that you follow requires you to correct Jesus, to be holier than Jesus, to rebuke Jesus, to instruct him on your ways of peace, you can be quite confident that you don't know Jesus or your need of him. You don't know Jesus and you don't know your need of him. So the question is this, from the very beginning, how do we find peace? How do we get to Resurrection Sunday? Following your dreams is empty and naive. Following the rules is deadly and isolating. So what path do we follow? Well, there's a third way here in the text that Luke is showing us. He's saying if you want to get to Resurrection Sunday, if you want peace in your life, you don't need to follow your dreams You don't need to follow the rules. You need to follow his tears. You need to follow his tears. Um, You know, tears always tell you something. They always tell you something. And this has been a big year. Tears tell a story. Um, this has been a big year for our family. There's been a lot of big. Um, a lot of big life decisions that we've made that are good, by the way, <clears throat> even though I'm teary. Um, but with that came a lot of tears. Uh, many of you know this by now, but this is uh, my last year as the uh, RUF campus minister at Berkeley. <clears throat> so that's why the tears are always there. Uh, but back to the point of the sermon, and we can talk about that later too if you want to. Um, tears always tell you something. And one day a few weeks ago, Holly came home and uh, our oldest son was visibly upset. And he, he, uh, he went and he, he hid himself underneath a blanket on the couch. And Holly, being the great mom that she is, she went over and she pulled the blanket back and she noticed he was crying. And she asked him, buddy, why are you crying? And Gabe said, uh, I don't want to move. So that certainly made us feel confident in our decision. Um, Gabe was feeling the sadness, you know, of the situation. But my point here is that Holly asked that question. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? And she asked that question because tears tell a story. They always tell a story. They told us something of what he was going through, and it gave us a path forward to care for him as his parents. 
And um, I think that we should do the same thing with this text here. We should do the same thing with Jesus. You'll, you'll notice in verse 41 that as Jesus drew near and saw the city, the city of Jerusalem literally means city of peace. It says that he wept over it. He wept over the city when he saw it. And so let's ask Jesus this question. Why are you crying? Why is Jesus crying? There's another passage in another gospel, the gospel of John, when Jesus weeps over the death of his good friend Lazarus. He shows up and he sees Lazarus is in a tomb and he weeps. And it just says that Jesus weeps. And his tears, they tell a twofold story. The first thing that they tell us, the first thing that his tears tell us is that Jesus sees us. Jesus sees us. He sees us in our pain. He sees us in our failed efforts. He sees us in our unfaithfulness. He sees us in our frailty. He sees us in our grief. He sees us, as the text says in verse 42, he sees us in our blindness to things that make for peace. He sees us following the wrong paths and it moves Jesus to tears because he sees us. But then the second thing that it tells us, his tears show us the path that he must follow to bring us the peace of Resurrection Sunday. His tears tell us that Jesus sees us and they tell us the path that he must follow to bring us the peace of Resurrection Sunday. Jesus weeps over the death of Lazarus, but he also weeps because he knows what it'll take to raise Lazarus from the grave. It will take his own death to bring life to the world. And it will take his own death to bring life to that city. And it will take his own death to bring life to this city. And it will take his own death to bring life to you. And it will take his own death to bring life to me. You see, everybody in this passage, everybody in this passage is following something. The crowds are following their dreams. The Pharisees are following their rules. But Jesus, Jesus is following his tears. And his tears are taking him to a cross. His tears are taking him to a cross where he will hang and he will die and he will be buried in a tomb. 
But beyond the tomb of tears awaits the peace of Resurrection Sunday. That is the joy that the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says that there was a joy that was set before Jesus as he endured the cross with tears. The joy of Resurrection Sunday for you and for me. And so what God wants you and me to believe this morning is that if you want to find peace, the tears of Jesus lead the way. If you want to find peace, the tears of Jesus lead the way. So as we enter into Holy Week, I want to leave you um, with this little catechism that you can just recite to yourself all week. How do we get to Resurrection Sunday? The answer is we follow the tears of Jesus. How do we get to Resurrection Sunday? We follow the tears of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your tears. We thank you for your endless pursuit of us, even as we're going down paths that we know lead to death and destruction. We thank you that you're our good shepherd and that you promise, even if it's just one of us, to come and get us and bring us back. Uh, this morning, no matter where we are, and no matter where we find ourselves, would we see the grace in your tender hand leading us back to the trail of tears that leads us to the cross and brings uh, our hearts to sing of the peace that we found uh, in the resurrection life that we have in you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. There's no better place um, to follow the tears of Jesus than at this table where his body was torn and his blood was spilt um, to bring us the peace that we so desperately needed. So if you're looking for how to take the first step this morning, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, taking steps towards this table is a great way to start. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, by a friend, uh, certainly through tears, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until the day that he returns to bring shalom and peace in all of its fullness and to wipe away our tears forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you again that uh, even as we follow you, um, and even as you carry us along, that you give us nutrients. You give us bread and wine, not just to simply remember what you did, but to feed us spiritually, to give us energy and fuel, the energy and fuel of grace that allows us to take another step in pursuit of you. Lord, would you bless these elements, these common elements, um, 
to the faith of your people. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.